Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, welcome to Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, my name's Bill. And I'd like to welcome Mike and Tim to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi. Hey. Uh, they're going to share their journey of recovery from active alcoholism and tell us how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped them. Um, so usually we start talking about what it's like sort of growing up and how that influenced our life and you know how we got into drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. So... Um, uh, Mike, what was it like for you growing up? Um, interesting to say the least. Um, <laughs> I guess um, <clears throat> life was normal. Well, I, I, I'm originally from Europe and I grew up in a war-torn country. Well, the war started when I was about seven. Um, and after that, it was a lot of hardship throughout my life. Uh, we ended up moving countries uh, during the war where we stayed for a couple of years. I've seen a lot of stuff that I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy. Um, and then we ended up moving to Germany and we ended up being the first refugees in that this small little German town where it was beaten and bullied almost on a day, daily basis. Um, then we moved into a bigger town, which was more multicultural and life seemed normal for a few years. Um, and then around the age of 14, 15, I ended up getting um, into a fight with these three other guys. They were beating me in and out of consciousness, and that caused me to isolate a lot and be afraid pretty much to go outside. Um, then maybe a year and a half later, we got the visa to come to Australia finally, which okay. was a you know, good thing, new start, this and that. But unfortunately, I ended up getting jumped again and got into a... Um, ended up getting stabbed so (laughs) yeah it was just one trauma after the other so around the age of 16 I discovered alcohol and as soon as I had my first drink um, all the trauma in in my head disappeared and I loved the effects of alcohol what what did it make you feel what did it make me feel yeah I don't know it just just made me feel good I guess uh, that's the only way to describe it. Did it sort of relax? Did it relax you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It made uh, although it's, it made the noises in my head stop pretty much. Okay. Um, you know, which yeah, and I didn't want that feeling to go away. Yeah, it was. I could I could finally fit in with people. I found it easier to talk to people, and uh, I wasn't isolating as much anymore. So on and so forth. Yeah. Okay, so were you drinking with peers? Yes, yes, we were, I mean, we were still teenagers and um, the boys would always sort of compete who could drink more and um, I always had to be the guy that (laughs) beat everyone. But, you know, eventually my peers moved on, ended up getting, getting into relationships or getting careers where I just moved from one group to the other. And uh, which eventually led me on to drugs as well. So. Okay. So what did your parents think? My parents um, my parents didn't know. My parents were too busy working. 
at that stage because you know you we came here on the migrant visa so they we had to start from scratch again so they they would work long hours this and that they just made sure that we had food on the table and that we went to school got education yeah. um, so they didn't know much until it got really bad okay so what about your siblings your brothers and sisters my brother knew but he yeah he didn't i mean he was a younger brother so there's not much he could not really much say yeah. Yeah. or influence me but you know when stuff got really bad he wasn't happy about it okay were you angry as a youth yes definitely i was angry at at the world pretty much um but i was angry inside i was always too afraid to lash out at other people yeah uh but from time to time eventually the drugs caused me to lash out yeah so how did you get into drugs i was just going to nightclubs partying this and that experiencing and then it went from party drugs to you know ice and heroin eventually so okay it must have been difficult to afford that sort of those sort of drugs. Yes. How do you do it? Well, I was pretty much uh, I was I was selling drugs to to okay. to support my own habit. Um, that's that's what it came down to. Okay. Um, yeah. Right. Um, okay. Well, what if we swap over to you, Tim? Uh, how was early life for you? Yeah, it was good. Uh, we moved around a lot when I was a kid, so. I was like put in new positions uh, with a lot of uh, different expectations and I think it just set up at a really young age that the real important thing is to fit in and so I just did my best in every new situation to try to fit in yep. and that meant I put a lot of uh, self-exploration to the side in, in the hope of of finding friends or doing what my friends do and I, I just felt very different because I mean we moved from Canberra to Darwin to Brisbane to Melbourne so... Yep. they're very different uh <laughs> they're very they're very different places like with kids who grow up with different kind of environments and and it meant that like i had a lot of experience with other environments but not the environment that i was in <laughs> yeah yeah and i guess you're always the outsider as well yeah i mean it didn't help i was a fair bit bigger than my peers mm. i was quite a big kid from a young age so i i got on with uh older kids but with that i mean I obviously wasn't as mature as them so i got brought into things a lot faster than i would have otherwise okay so being good at sport, what did that mean? Uh, I mean, I, I think the defining part for sport in Queensland, rugby is a very big thing. Yeah. And so, and I was very good with it. Uh, and like I had a lot of ambition in that area. And then when I moved to Victoria, everyone was football fanatic. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I just felt, I felt even more different. Like, I mean, I was easily the best at my school by a long way because I'd, I'd been playing high level rugby since I was quite young. Yeah. And uh, it kind of, I hung my hat on that, but I just felt very different in a lot of areas because I wasn't connected with a lot of my peers. Like I had a small group of friends from my rugby team and uh, and we started drinking. Like as soon as I came to Melbourne, I started drinking, uh, not very frequently, but when I drank, I, I noticed that I was not drinking the same as the people around me. Uh, my first experience of a party, my parents got called and... Uh, and I was delusional. Like they, they brought me home, and I was in the back of the car, and just like th- vomiting everywhere, and uh, not normal behaviour for a first experience of drinking, maybe. <laughs> no, no. Which usually isn't for an alcoholic. Alcohol no, usually do something rather unusual. Yeah. Um, 
So um, drinking, so was it a, I guess, a culture in your sport to drink? Uh, I think it's a culture in Australian sport to drink. (laughs) Uh, I think I went went to to quite a prestigious school in Melbourne. Kids have... Kids came from quite a lot of money. They had access to a lot of things. Yeah. And uh, because of that, uh, we always had expendable amounts of money, which meant that we put those on to our weekends. And on the weekends, we would you know, use that to drink or to buy marijuana, things like that. Uh, it was, it was, every, everything was fueled by what we're going to do on the weekend. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so after the game, like very early on in my life, I became far less focused on how well I played on the Saturday and more on what I was going to get to do after the game on Saturday night. Okay, right. <laughs> um, so what about relationships and stuff like that? Uh, before I moved to Melbourne, I was actually I entered into a relationship with a girl that lasted for about four years. And after having moved around for so long, I think when I left Brisbane, it, it gave me a sense of home and belonging to have this attachment to someone. But in uh, in hindsight, I'm starting to realise that maybe having a relationship so long a distance was convenient for me because it meant I could have an emotional attachment without actually having to be present or available in that relationship. And that kind of set a standard for a lot of my relationships after that. Uh, Yeah, it's a bit nostalgic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And how about your family? Did were you? Did you feel part of your family, or did you feel a bit different? What's... Uh, I, th- I think I felt very different. I grew up in a very traditional, valued household. So the eldest son, being as as I was, had a lot of responsibility that the other two didn't have. I think my parents made mistakes in relation to parenting me that they were able to probably learn from and not make those same mistakes. So I think I felt very isolated because of that. Like my life. If you had to ask, if you ask my brother versus me, our experiences of childhood are very different, and I don't think that's necessarily because uh, of anything other than just my parents were also experiencing parenthood for the first time. There was a lot of complications uh, in raising a child, and coming from very different environments as well. Like their ideas of uh, safe parenting were probably a little bit different to some of the modern parenting values yep. that were experienced by children around me. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Um, so you said that you eventually got into drugs. So how old were you when you started using drugs as well? Well, I started using marijuana at uh, f- about the same age as I started drinking. Uh, I started using heavier drugs around 15 or 16, uh, once again hanging out with older guys. And I got into the nightclub scene by about 17 or 18, and I was using very frequently from that stage onwards. So like it just went hand in hand with drinking. It stopped some of the bad effects of my drinking coming up. So what I mentioned before, like ending up delusional the first time, that was a pretty frequent occurrence when I drank. And I found that if I mixed, say, alcohol with cocaine or with uh, with ecstasy, <laughs> I wouldn't go into blackout, and so I wouldn't have the same effect of drinking. Okay, so good, good experimental yeah. <laughs> work. <laughs> uh, okay, um, so if. So going to nightclubs, that must have been expensive. So how did you pay for that? Well, I was actually working in those nightclubs, so they would give me money uh, because I already knew a lot of people there. Like I would kind of middle middle road a lot of the selling of the drugs So and I would just end up with uh, either quantity of money or a quantity of drugs as a result of doing that. And then that great later developed into more criminal behaviour. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the avoidance... I wasn't able to hold down jobs. I wasn't able to 
consistently stay at uni and things like that. So I was just looking to fund like being able to drink as often as possible as much as I could and I became more and more willing to do what I needed to do to do that. Okay. So was that a a success in the short term? Uh well I didn't have to work so yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, it meant that I was able to kind of just flit through life. Like I had a lot of early success. I mean, like I mentioned with sport and things like that. I didn't have to try too hard to get success in areas. Yeah. So when I wasn't trying too hard to do this and I managed to stay afloat, uh, like I continued to do it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a normal reaction, yeah. So when did that start becoming a problem? At 21 uh look it's always a problem when you when you don't have a purpose in life uh things dwindle quite quickly and there's issues there's obviously wider issues than just not being part of life and i think at 21 i had a a a relationship that had been quite short-ended but it affected me pretty seriously and I, i had a psychotic episode uh when i was drinking and ended up in hospital Okay. Uh, so that like that was the first time that I really started to maybe question uh, my drinking and my using, and had like made an attempt to stop. Okay, thanks. Uh, back to you then, Mike. Um, so I think when we finished with you, you talked about um, getting into ice uh, in your early twenties. Yep. So <clears throat> was that a success? Was that a success? Yeah. Successful lifestyle choice. <clears throat> no, no. I mean, it was successful at the start because previously I had a heroin addiction, and um, I got off that by simply by stop hanging around the old friends. Okay. Uh, so that was a success, but I substituted heroin with alcohol, and then I got onto ice basically to work longer hours because I had my own business at a really young age as well. So um, I would be working Monday to Friday. And then sleeping on the weekends. Oh, wow. So, and the company was doing well, but slowly but surely my, my brain just started going insane. I started having these awful thoughts. Um, and by that time, my family started realizing too. And then we basically had intervention and I decided to go overseas to rehab. Okay. Clean myself up. Okay. So, how long did you stay overseas? Um, overseas, I stayed for nine months. Okay. Um, by choice. <laughs> Um, I guess I was afraid to come back into into the old environment, and it was difficult at the start. But um, my family was really supportive. Um, I continued on with my business. By that time, my brother was became a partner as well, so he was okay. running it while I was overseas. Um, okay. yeah. I got healthy. I started training. I wasn't drinking, and I was sober for a couple of years. I met a girl eventually who who was to become my wife, and uh, when. The two of us moved in together. I picked up drink again, and okay. I started drinking heavily straight away. Oh, right. I mean, I was pretending to drink like a normal person, but, but I was hiding drinks and, yeah. you know. Did your girlfriend realize that you had a drinking problem? Not at the start. I was hiding it. Well, I thought I was hiding it pretty well. well. <laughs> uh, but yes, yes, there was discussion before discuss, discussions before the wedding, um, and, you know... Like all the other times, I would be making promises, whether it was to her, to the family, I'll stop. I'll promise to myself, and I really mean it. I mean, I really, really mean it. Because, um, you know, I'll be hurting people around me, I'll be hurting myself. But I'm I suffering from that insanity that 
once once the drink pops into my head, I just everything else becomes second. Yeah, yeah, we've heard that one before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, listen, we might just take a break there. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, um, we have some podcasts of the show available at uh, 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree and they're also available on iTunes. Um, if you want to contact us, you can either call the station on 94198377 or send us an email at 3cr com. We're also on Twitter uh, at 3CR Living Free. Uh, we usually play a couple of community service announcements, and here's one for the Tooled Film Festival. This year's Tilda, Melbourne Trans and Gender Diverse Film Festival, is packed with stories that represent the rich tapestry of trans and gender diverse people's lives. The program runs from Thursday the 8th to Sunday the 11th of November at Footscray Community Arts Centre and celebrates the best trans and gender diverse cinema on offer, along with Q&A sessions with festival guests and opening and closing night events. Program details and tickets are available at tildamelbourne.com. A 3CR supporter. Ah. Um, I'm talking to Mike and Tim about uh, recovering from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so, Mike, uh, we're talking about... Uh, Coming back from overseas, getting married, um, and drinking started to become a problem in your life. Yes. So how did that manifest? How did it manifest? Um, <clears throat> yeah, so slowly but surely I started drinking on a daily basis, hiding it. Uh, and the wife at the time, she would get upset a lot. Um, same as the family, I started missing out at work or rocking up at work, um, hungover. Um, Till I eventually ended up having a psychotic episode and um, just just lost my plot, I guess. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. I thought the world was against me, this and that. And um, because of my drinking, I ended up losing the lot, the, the marriage, the house that we lived in, my company, my relationship with the family. And um, I ended up being homeless. Okay. Um, I had a bit of money to spend, so for a month I went on a spree of partying and all that stuff, but eventually I ran out of money and ended up on the street um, begging people for food. Well, it wasn't really food, it was more to no. support <laughs> my addiction. Um, yeah, and um, even back then, though, if you asked me if I had a problem with alcohol, I would have said, no, I'm just having a rough day. Yeah. Um, so even back then, I couldn't admit that I was an alcoholic. I was drinking heavily, but in my mind, I was saying, "Well, at least I'm not on heavy drugs. At least I'm not using ice or yeah. heroin." Yeah. So I always had that excuse in my head. Yeah, it's sort of standard denial, isn't it? Yeah. Like, if you can justify it to yourself, you mm. can continue what you're doing. Yes. When you can't, you you bug it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so. Being depressed and drinking and taking drugs mustn't be a very good feeling. No, no. Well, mind you, I still had the post-traumatic stress disorder from a child, which I haven't been diagnosed with yet. Yeah. 
Um, so I was all blaming. I was using my past as an excuse as well yeah. for my drinking or for my behavior. Um, the depression and anxiety got worse and worse because of my drinking. Um, yeah, and after maybe a year or two, it eventually got so bad that I decided to take my own life. Right. I ended up hanging myself in a black card and somehow I ended up waking up at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Uh, and then they sent me to St. Winnie's to the psych ward. Yes. Where I was finally diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, right. depression, anxiety and all that. Yeah. Was it a relief to somebody to actually tell you what was wrong? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Like, now, now I had... Now I finally found what the problem is. Yeah. And there's treatments for that problem. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I slowly but surely, through treatment, took care of, of all of that. Like, I'm not depressed anymore. I'm not anxious. I'm sure I have my bad days. Yes. Don't we all? <laughs> but um, it's nowhere near as bad. I don't think about killing myself on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But one thing that I realized that all that's got nothing to do, like my past, my post-traumatic stress disorder, my depression, has got nothing to do with my alcoholism. It's just unfortunate, I guess. Yeah. So did they suggest AA to you as part of that assessment? No. Okay. No. So it was a nurse at St. Minnie's that kind of on my last day there just briefly said, hey, why don't you go check out an AA meeting? Yep. And I didn't even know what AA was all about. So okay. I had nothing else better to do, so I went into an AA meeting. Right. Okay. And what was your first opinion of AA? As soon as I walked into the door, I wanted to walk out because I saw... Um, the word God on the wall and higher power and all that stuff. And yeah. I thought it was quite cultish at the start. So I just wanted to... Being the people pleaser that I was, I stuck around for the meeting. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I started identifying with people. People were telling me my story. Um, so what did that feel like, hearing other people that had the same, same or similar experience to you? For the first time in my life, I didn't feel alone. Yeah. Um, for the first time in my life. Uh, finally there's someone that understands me. Because there's professionals out there that I spoke to heaps of professionals, but they've never been through through it. No. Yeah. So people that have been through the same thing as I have, telling me what's wrong with me was much easier to accept. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I stuck around. Okay. Thank you. Um Back to you, Tim. So you had a similar sort of experience going to um, to hospital for drink and drug problem. So what was it like going into into hospital? Into I guess it was a psych ward too. Uh, yeah. So I got taken by the police. Uh, I tried to commit suicide, and I was walking around delusional on the streets in Brighton, and I got picked up and taken to Monash Hospital. I just re- I distinctly remember I passed out and I woke up and just the look on the nurse's face. Uh, she was horrified for my welfare. And she asked me, like, how can you do this to yourself? And uh, it was the first time in my life where I kind of thought, like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and I was really... I was quite scared by it. I mean, my heart rate was very high. And it stayed high. Like, my heart rate was over 100 for about 15 hours which is a long time. Um, and just very, very horrified that that could have happened. 
that kicked off uh, just a constant cycle that began in my life at that point where I started to realize that uh, alcohol and drugs were a big problem and I consistently would, would try to give them up and then I would eventually start again and I'd, I wouldn't know how it would happen but eventually like something would just change and I would go from not wanting to do it to doing it again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that, that cycle just repeated itself for years, like constantly changing what I was doing. Like I'd change university course, I'd change jobs, I'd change girlfriend, I'd <laughs> move states. Uh, I'd do all of these things in the hope that it would be, it was because of the external environment. I wasn't happy with what was going on or that uh, that uh, this is not what I'm meant to do anymore. Yeah. yeah, I think they call them geographical, don't they? Yeah, yeah geographical. Yeah. 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 So I was actually from Queensland. I think I thought that if I went back to a place where I'd felt home, that I would I would be home. Change. <laughs> and uh, the reality was is that within a very short period of time in Queensland, uh, like I was playing high level rugby again. I was doing all of the things that I thought in my mind. If these things had fallen in place, my life would go better. And it just got very bad very quickly. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So what did your parents think about you in this when you're in this state? Um my parents aren't very they they drink often. They just don't drink much. They obviously don't have the same response to alcohol that I do and they have no experience with drugs. So I think they were quite ignorant of it when I was younger and as I got a bit older they were heavily concerned and in my attempt to stop, I think I put a lot of responsibility on them to try to help me to stop. Yep. not realising uh, at the time that I was giving them a burden which was far too heavy for them to carry. Yep. So they would, like, we would agree on things like locking me up and that would be fine for a period of time because I would be safe and then at the point where I'd, uh, where I'd be back into the period where I'd want to start drinking and using again, I would resent them, <laughs> yeah. seriously, because they're locking me up now, yep. whereas it's something I'd agree to and I think uh, that kind of behaviour is very characteristic of what would what would happen with me is I would agree to these really serious conditions to try to put a, a stop to my drinking and my using. And uh, what would happen is eventually I would resent those conditions that I'd agreed to because they didn't fit in with the need to now drink and use again. Yeah. And so how did those resentments manifest themselves? What did you? What was your relationship like with your parents when that was happening? Really bad. So yeah. I I started to blame them quite a lot for my need mm. to drink and to use. And so, obviously, I was justifying a lot of the behaviour because people don't understand me, or yeah. Uh, and I mean, especially girlfriends. Like when girlfriends would hop on board with my parents and stay, say stuff like, "I think you have a problem. Like maybe you need to go and get help." Yeah. And then I would resent them for it too because they're in co- like they're in cahoots with my parents. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the reality of the situation was that I had I had no capacity for responsibility. I couldn't take responsibility of my emotional nature. And I, I couldn't take responsibility for simple things that were going on in my life. And I don't think it was for lack of trying. I think it was more I didn't really have an understanding about what was the basis of uh, what was going on for me. Like, I first went into rehab at 25, and I remember going into that rehab thinking, if these guys can help me to drink and use responsibly, I'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the first thing that the doctor said when I get in there is, you're an alcoholic, you never drink again. <laughs> Bummer. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was a bit of a shock. Uh, but what I actually found out a lot as a result of that rehab is that the problem is not that I drink or use. It's uh, that I, I'm i not of the ability to make a choice of whether I do that. So when I start okay. drinking, yeah. I cannot stop. Yeah. 
and uh, given any period of sobriety, I will start drinking again if I do not put the right kind of measures in place. Okay, so you were the problem. Yes. Yeah, so the drink wasn't the problem, yeah. No, and like, my experiences in life are not <clears throat> the problem. What yeah. makes me an alcoholic is has very little to do with what happened to me, but, I mean, if, if I draw the conclusion that the commonality in my life is that I was there and alcohol and drugs were there, then maybe the problem is me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because yeah. the alcohol doesn't drink itself. No, no. It's emotional immaturity that we can't cope with life as it as it is, yeah. and we need something to justify our inability to cope. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think I just felt very alien for a long time. Like, I always chose partners who, who didn't drink very much or didn't use drugs, and I think that was in an attempt to like justify to the world that I was normal too. <laughs> right. But what that left me with was a feeling of being more alone because yeah. I was the only one who went through this. Yeah. And it felt for a very long time like I was the only one who was going through this. When uh the reality was is that there's a lot of people out there and that's what coming to Alcoholics Anonymous has shown me is that while uh while the stories of our problems are very different, I mean the the commonality is what gives us a lot of strength in AA. I mean, uh, hearing Mike's story just shows me how different our backgrounds are, but yet we still suffer with the same problems. So uh, there, there could well be a common solution with that. Okay. Yep. Um, so, how often did you go to rehab, and how successful was it? Uh, my first rehab uh, got me sober and clean for about eighteen months, almost two years, and uh, and then I drank again so I stopped doing the things that actually got me sober and uh, I drank again and in that next period I went to the same rehab another three times I got rejected from another rehab uh, I tried many home detoxes I tried detoxes living on the street I mean at that stage I was I was what people like what doctors had started considering end stage uh, yeah. that unless I unless I get locked up uh, I'm not going to be able to to stay sober or stay clean for any considerable period, and that that was true for me for a long time. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, coming into the period I'm in now, I went into a longer term uh, facility, and that's a, that was actually the beginning of the recovery, the recovery that I'm in now. Yeah, and it was quite. Uh, it's been very successful. So, what was the longest sobriety you had before your last one? Uh, oh. It's hard because I was always so dishonest about it. I mean, if, 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 you, if, you, like, if you asked me in a, in a personal relationship, I needed the relationship to think that I was, I was probably drinking at the time. So uh, I would have said to you a year when it was probably something more like six months. Okay. Uh, but as I got older, those periods got shorter and shorter. So what was six months at 21 became, you know, a week to a couple of days when I was in my mid-20s. Okay. So when did you start thinking that AA could seriously help you? Uh, well, my first period of recovery was very was very useful because uh, while I don't think internally I made the kind of change that I've had in this recovery, I think I got a lot of experience with dealing with the issue and an idea about it was possible to change. Uh, I think I really started to believe the program this time around when I was just all out of options. Like I saw yeah. the program working for other people in my last recovery, but there were some fundamental changes which didn't occur within me, which made me feel different and isolated again. Yeah. I think uh, 
probably a certain amount of that was me not wanting to believe it, me not wanting to believe that I too could have been helped by this program. Like it's very simple in its nature, but very complicated to actually do. Yeah. The complication being <clears throat> that uh, I feel that I'm different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the acceptance of the fact that you're not that, you're not terminally unique, you're just unique. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm unique in the experiences that I've had, and but that uh, that actual uniqueness is beneficial because there could be someone else who's had a similar experience that I can now help. Yeah. Uh, but in <clears> terms <throat> of me getting the program, it's to look for the things that are similar between me and other people. And uh, I mean, I, I heard a lot of similarities even in my, what Mike was talking about. The stories are very different, but the experiences of what we were doing and the position we end up ended up in was exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I mean, one and one cannot equal four. It yeah. must equal two. Yeah. Right. Okay. Awesome. We might take another break. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking to Mike and Tim about recovery from alcoholism uh, through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so, Mike, um, we left when you'd sort of come into AA and you had a problem with the word God. So, did that? put you off AA? Yes, definitely did. Yeah, Yeah, because I made a firm decision. I mean, I started questioning religion around the age of nine Uh, because the the word that I experienced was between three different religions. So I started always questioning why is my God better than yours and vice versa. So around the age of 13, I think I made a firm decision. I found out about atheism. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. so, yeah, it did put me off because a lot of people were talking about the higher power and, and God and all that stuff. But what I failed to uh, recognize is that it's a spiritual program rather than a religious program. Yeah. Um, and I consider myself a spiritual atheist yeah. rather than uh, born again. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it put me off a little bit at the start. But, um, yeah, not so much anymore once you see the benefits of uh, working a spiritual program. Okay. So um, working the steps, how did that help you? Working, well, it helped me. Well, I was I was left without it. Cause for me, drugs and alcohol wasn't really so much a problem, but it was the solution to all my problems. Yeah. So once the solution was removed, I didn't know how to handle life. Yeah. So now I had to implement these steps into my life in order to deal with everyday challenges, everyday problems. I mean, all of a sudden I have to deal with breakups, um, hard times at work, friends, family, all that stuff that usually usually I would turn to drugs or alcohol. So I had to work the steps in order to, um, in order to handle life, I guess. Yeah. So did it help that your family accepted you as an alcoholic? Yes. I think they accepted me as an alcoholic before I accepted myself as an alcoholic. Because my last visit to the hospital, um, they came in, but this time they weren't concerned or they they just came in. They were like, oh, yeah, you you need the usual, the the, the cigarettes, the pajamas. Yeah. (laughs) Because it just became routine to them. Yeah. And that's when I realized, oh, my God, everyone else has accepted that I'm an alcoholic, not me. Yeah. So... Yeah. So, did working the steps save you from alcohol use, or did you continue using? Yeah, well, I've done the steps twice now. 
Yeah. The first time I did the steps is because everyone else did the steps. I just wanted to be one of the cool people, if yeah. you will. <laughs> uh, but then on the one year, one year anniversary, I picked up a drink again, um, thinking that you know it's going to be different this time, but it, was, it evidently wasn't. So this time around, when I did the steps, I changed the sponsor. It's changed home groups and all that. Um, and I did the steps because... I made I made this radical decision to start living this spiritual life. Yeah, uh, practicing these spiritual uh, exercises that seems to um, change these people. I saw this evidence in the rooms, AA rooms. People that did the steps, they they seem to handle life. They seem much happier. Um, so yeah, I made that radical decision, and um, yeah, that definitely helped. Okay, thanks. Um, so, Tim, um, going into rehab and getting help and then being becoming aware that AA could help you, when did AA start becoming something you could depend on? I think my first recovery I was heavily dependent on AA. Uh, I think I replaced good connection with... Uh, the process of the steps it's just kind of something that I did and I went to a lot of meetings and I just I got a lot of community uh, but then when things got difficult in my life that that was insufficient to keep me sober and so as uh, I stopped doing the things that got me into that position uh, like attending as frequent meetings and things like that because my life had gotten so busy I I drank again and uh, and that put me in a really bad position I think what really convinced me that AA had to work was that uh, that last relapse lasted for about 18 months. I wow. was living on the street for about a year of that. I uh, I had to do a lot of things when living on the street to keep uh, to keep drinking, to keep using, to to just survive. Like just to live on a daily basis was a very big struggle. Uh, it's really interesting being in this area because I spent a lot of the time living on the street in this area. And coming back here, being able to go and have lunch and yeah. and do very normal things is is a gift that I never thought would be possible for me again, and that's that's as a result of the work I do in AA. It's uh, it's a result of the program that exists there and the people that are in that program who help me through on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. So, what's it like if you want to get into a rehab and you can't? Well, there's a lot of different options to do with that. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, facilities around Australia. So, Victoria has a very uh, interesting process for them there's there's a lot of public uh rehabilitation facilities but uh there's longer waiting lists to get into those uh i mean i think the best thing is to go and actually seek help from the right kind of people there's a lot of institutions that can help around things like this uh like going to speak to healthcare professionals uh getting getting the right kind of research done online is pretty useful uh like I go and speak at a number of facilities now. Now that I'm now sober, and I do, I do, I have a weekly spot at an Aboriginal rehab. Uh, I go into a detox in Heidelberg, so different kind of facilities. I think the best thing is to come to an AA meeting and and have a chat to people around it. Because uh, I mean, who better than the people in recovery to talk to recovery about? <laughs> yeah. So, what was the thing that got you committed to AA? I had no other options. <laughs> I, I backed myself into a corner and what was far scarier for me 
uh, was the fact that I could not make a promise that I would stop and know that I would be able to keep that promise. I knew full well that regardless of how I felt about the situation that I would be dragged kicking and screaming back. And so I think the the realisation that whether I wanted to or not, this was going to go on. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I was given a, a desire to do it with an earnestness I hadn't before. So it's it's not it's not an optional part of my life today. Like uh, the things that I do in AA, my commitment to that to the program of the steps is not an optional part of my life. It's 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 a part that I get to do, not that I have to do. Yeah. And so, how's your relationships with your family and friends? Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I've been able to do a lot of work. I think having a period of time estranged from my family was fantastic because I was left with myself, and to realise that. I'm the large producer of my problems. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I think in an immature way, I blame my parents a lot because it was far easier than looking at myself. I think after taking responsibility for myself and actually spending time getting to know my parents as, as adults as they've gotten to know me as an adult this time around, uh, our relationship has just flourished. Like my brother and my sister are back in my life again and and I'm getting a lot closer. Like I'm very close with my sister. She's always been very supportive, but... I've never matched up to her support and uh, I'm just very grateful for having the time that I have with them, having the ability to have, you know, I wish I could say second chance, but having another chance after so many ruined chances. Yeah, yeah. I think family family has that ability to allow multiple tries. You know, I think that's one of the benefits of a family is that they'll give you another chance. Yeah. I think one of the benefits of having... A process like the steps is I get to look at myself and look at my motives behind things and the way that I look at the world and my belief structures get to change because of the process and uh, what I've realized as a result of going back through that process more more thoroughly this time around is that uh, my parents and my family get to show me what it's like to really love and uh, I think that's been a real problem for me as I never really understood that concept but they're ability to forgive me after everything that i've done and uh the damage that i've caused it shows me what love's really about it's not about making a mistake it's about your commitment to the people that you do love and being consistent with them and in that consistency it uh it shows how much they really mean it it makes everything they've done worthwhile yeah Mm. yeah okay um so back to you mike so being in in aa today how's how's your life different Oh, it's totally different. Uh, Apart yeah. from the obvious, I mean, that you're not drinking. and Yes, <laughs> but I, I get to um, I get to be responsible. I get to look at myself. I get to admit my own mistakes. I get to mend relationships that I have stuffed up in the past. Um, and it's it's not a quick fix. It's a, I mean, the damage that I've done to my family friends and loved ones um i have to i have to amend that on a daily basis um and i have to stick to this program for the rest of my life if i want to if i want to do that um but at the same time i I, every day issues that pop up i get to reflect on them as well because a part of the working the program is nightly reflection and so on and so forth so you get to you get to realize that Everything is 99% your fault. It's all connected. Yeah. yeah. And you can't blame others. But, you know, you, you get to fix it slowly but surely. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and life, life becomes fun again. Uh, the little, little things become more meaningful. Things that you didn't even realize existed before. So life's good. Life's yeah. good. Thanks for yeah. this program. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think we become less selfish and self-centered and self-seeking. It's all that sort of me, 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 mm. and we start looking outwards. Um, so, uh, Tim, are you content with your life? Yeah. Uh, I'm by no means a perfect person. Like, I still have, I still have the, uh, the problem with being human. <laughs> but in that, I get to accept my, hum- my humanness and uh, accept that while I have faults, they're faults that can be changed if necessary. Or I think a, lo- I think a lot of the happiness in my life comes from uh, the ability to help others. Like to do things like this, and uh, I mean, just to live to live freely. The things that that bound me, like for example, living on the street, just getting uh, my phone charged could be an eight-hour procedure because no one wants you in there when you're a homeless person. Yeah. Whereas I, I mean, I have a lot of things in my life that make my life comfortable, but I think what means more than anything is that I have a uh, a good knowledge about who I am and what I want out of my life and, and an ability that when things come up, I can deal with them. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, a content warning. Uh, this end of uh, this show may have raised issues that were distressing for some listeners. If this content has raised questions or caused distress, please contact Lifeline 131114 or Beyond Blue 1300 six. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, then you can phone them on one three hundred two 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 two, or you can go online at aa.org.au. Uh, I'd like to thank Mike and Tim for coming into the 3CR studio and sharing their Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for you. having us. Uh, Thanks for listening to Living Free today. I hope you're about to join us again next week when we'll be sharing some more recovery stories. Uh, Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective.